Looking for a way to keep your kids or grandkids entertained? Just tell your smart speaker to play Vision Kids Radio. Vision Kids! Problem solved. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. An amazing story to tell. And one that is far too common for so many people. Addictions, abuse, neglect, teen pregnancy, self-harm, suicidal ideation, self-destruction and crime. Well, Renee Michelle ticks the box to each one of these experiences following countless years of sexual, physical and mental abuse throughout childhood as a teenager and into adulthood. She grew up dreaming of a life without pain, rejection, loneliness and fear. But Renee's reality was attempted suicides, self-destructive behaviour and violent relationships that made the dream a distant spark never to be attained. But now Renee Michelle has told her story in a book called Battle Scars Are Beautiful, From Victim to Victory. Renee unpacks the no-holds-barred, destructive side of her life and is then able to reflect on God's love, redemption and discovery of His purpose for her. Well, I want to make a special welcome along to 2020 today to Renee Michelle. Hello, Renee. Welcome. Hi, Neil. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Well, Renee, thank you for being available to open up on some of these things from your past. And it's obviously a courageous thing to be able to write down your story in a book. But let me take you back to uh, those early times. And from what I understand, uh, abuse began in your life from about age 10 and continued for the next 26 years. Uh, Take us back to some of those early stories that Mm. you're able to relate to that started to set your life on a different trajectory than what you might have dreamed about as a little girl. Yeah, Neil. So at around the age of 10, our family went through quite an extensive trauma and our family back in the 80s didn't really quite know how to manage that. And each one of us went through our own, I guess, level of dysfunction. And and that's the way that trauma often hits a family is that particularly back in those days, back in the 80s, we sort of went underground and, and didn't know how to manage. And unfortunately, I was left at home with a mother who was significantly affected by that trauma. Now, her way to cope, or or I should say not to cope, was to develop a drinking problem. Now, as part and parcel of that and not growing up with a father in in the home my father had left by that stage, my mum, I guess, brought home men into the home that were not uh, great and they started to uh, abuse me. What started as physical abuse as the years progressed turned into sexual and emotional abuse as a result of, of the men that were in the home. So interestingly, when we use that word trauma, mm. trauma is something that, uh, you know, it's got a quite a wide definition when we talk about where trauma comes from. And we don't often think of it in the case of a little girl, a 10-year-old, and then uh, into a family crisis. And then there are strange men who are brought into the circumstances. But this is really, this is the word that is actually appropriate. It is traumatic. 
It is traumatic because it affects you not just on one level, Neil, and we know so much about trauma now, but as a child, having uh, this inflicted on me at a young age, and we have heard, I guess, over the years things about the fight flight and freeze response. Now, the freeze response is something that we don't hear about all that often. Now, as a child, the freeze response is something that my body defaulted to. Now, that carries an immense amount of shame and guilt with that response because it is it was my body's way of shutting down. I didn't feel like I could survive what was going on. So my brain just instantly in that moment took me to a different place. Now, trying to make sense of that after the incident and as the years progressed, it was, why didn't I fight? Why didn't I scream out? Why didn't I do something different? to what I actually did. So the shame and the guilt compounded upon a child because you don't understand. You don't understand why you've responded in that way. And as the years progress and you try to speak out about what happened, um, people instantly judge you on that as well because they don't understand. So that that definitely was the reason why I went down all those different ro- roads that I call roads to self-destruction. And I imagine that, you know, as a 10-year-old little girl uh, and undergoing those issues of abuse and happening within your own home, undoubtedly the fear that may well be there of if I speak up, there may be consequences or if I speak up, no one will believe me. It's a fearful thing for children who've gone through abuse. Yeah, correct. And in my situation, Neil, I didn't have anybody safe to talk to. Everybody in my world was highly dysfunctional. Addicts and, you know, people that themselves were abusing me. So because we grew up in very small uh, country towns in New South Wales, we did not have a support network. My support network were my immediate family who were either A, highly dysfunctional, or two, emotionally absent. So there literally was no one, and there definitely wasn't the campaigns that we have today that we see in the public arena. So I had actually no one in my life that I felt safe enough to talk to. So I kept my abuse silent for my entire life until I was 26 years old. I did not tell a soul. I just suffered in silence. And unfortunately, many children do. And for you, that was normal. That's what happened in families. Uh, And I imagine that because your own family was dysfunctional, the sorts of families that your family related to were also in that sort of dysfunctional model because when you're in a dysfunctional family, you think the least judgmental people will be the ones who are also just as dysfunctional as we are. And back then, the generation was very much children would be seen and not heard. So if I went to an event where there was a family gathering, all us kids were shoved out the back or in one room and the parents were somewhere else. And if you wanted to spend time with your parent you were scolded and that was considered rude and intrusive and it was like, no, you get out to where the kids go. So we knew growing up in that age that we did not have that same, I guess, level of understanding and inclusion that that our children and and gratefully our, our families are built on a very different model and a structure today. And myself as a parent, I treat my children very differently. But back then it was so much separation and that just intensified that level of isolation. So what happens to you from age 10 and uh, all sorts of sexual, physical abuse? 
you're getting into your teenage years and you think this is all normal. Uh, the people that I'm relating to, my family connections, they're all just as dysfunctional as I am, as my family is. What happens to your aspirations as a teenage girl and getting into those younger years, young womanhood mm. and uh, the sorts of thoughts that you might have had about what your future might hold. Uh, what? When did you realise that perhaps uh, the sorts of things that you had seen that others were experiencing were not the way that you were actually experiencing life? Yeah, this is the crazy thing, Neil. By the time I reached high school, a lot of the young girls that I went to an all-girls high school, a lot of the young girls that I spent time with were far more mature and sexually active. Now, I wasn't because of what had happened to me. I had a very uh, a very strong wall between me and others, particularly me and males, obviously, even male teachers. I couldn't handle any type of yelling or conflict because I'd been uh, abused and, and yelled at from such a young age. So I was very much um, an introvert. I, was, I felt very invisible. I hid away. So I would go to school and I would hear my, my girlfriends talking about, you know, people they'd been with on the weekend and boys that they had met. So I always felt very socially awkward. I always felt very um, just out of my depth with those conversations. So what I started to do as my girlfriends were introducing me to boys, I was extremely shy. So I was bullied a lot as well. So I was um, left out of a lot of things at school because I could just never find my place. So as I'm trying to find out who I am as, as a as a young girl, everything that was going on around me made me feel just another level of uncomfortable uh, and discomfort. So I could just never find my place. And that's when my self-harming started because I started to gradually implode. It was also when I was violently raped in my own home at around that same age group. I was 13. So the, the self-harm began um, as, a, as a way to deal, again, with just burying all that pain and, again, that word trauma. I just had no outlet, so I took it out on myself. So it was just this constant battle, Neil. I, I didn't know what so-called goals were or a future could possibly look like. It was literally just surviving day to day. And for me, it wasn't even really surviving. It was purely just existing at that point. And when you talk about self-harm, uh, some of these things, and oftentimes more common in girls than boys, from what I understand, uh, this idea that I'm worthless, uh, that the pain somehow or other needs to be let out. Uh, I, I understand that there are uh, some things that people talk about uh, when they're self-harming, cutting, things like that, that... Uh, that they feel as though they've got to release the pain somehow. How do you describe the reasons why you would get into self-harm? Self-harm for me, for all of us that have dealt with trauma is very different to each one of us. You know, our level of, of trauma and our journey of trauma is very individual. For me, just speaking from my point of view, I had so much internalized pain. And like you said, that feeling of worthlessness and, and just I am nothing and I have nothing to give. Mine was very much based on a feeling of self-loathing. I hated myself so much. I couldn't look in mirrors. I hated my, my the physical sense of myself, but also just the way that 
that my body felt. I felt very just ashamed all the time. I felt disgusting. So the internal dialogue in my mind for the majority of my years was disgusting, bad, naughty, worthless, um, horrible, stupid, just very negative terminology. And so that was my way of taking it out on myself. So if I had a memory of um, very much, like I said, around that that age is when I was raped. So anytime I had a memory or a trigger or a flashback, that's when I would lash out at myself. I might punch myself in the face or I would lock myself in the school uh, toilet cubicles at lunch and cry. And when it would build up, I would headbutt the wall. And it was it was just the moment that I did that, it was like a release and the, the internal uh, emotional pain was transformed into physical pain and that was easier to tolerate than the emotional pain. And this continues on and then it escalates into all sorts of other behaviours. Take us into how your teenage years moving into adulthood started to look for you, mm. Renee. Very much I became addicted to alcohols and alcohol and drugs very early on in life and it was purely because, again, the people that I attracted and spent time with were very much into those things. This is also when boys at around the 18-, 19-year-old um, range wanted to be physically, uh, sexually active with me. The only way that I could tolerate any type of of intimacy with the male was to be absolutely almost unconsciously drunk because I didn't feel strong enough to say no and protest I would instantly again go into that freeze response because I just didn't know how to cope with it I'd be so overwhelmed that I would drink myself into oblivion or take that many drugs that I was just numb that I could not feel anything and that very much became the cycle of normalcy for me then to do A, you needed to do B. So I could never be around a man if I even feared that they would expect intimacy from me without drugs or alcohol involved. Wow. Now, Renee, you share your story uh, oftentimes. You have opportunity to speak to groups. Uh, clearly, you'd be meeting with young women who are also battling some of the things that you've experienced in the past. So these sorts of things are common feelings, common responses that young women have. Is this something that, uh, you know, you've noticed in your story? So many people relate to you because this is their story too. Absolutely. I started telling my story about 17 years ago now when I started working in residential rehabilitation centres for young girls. What I found out very quickly was that whether they were suffering a mood disorder or an eating disorder or other life-controlling issues, they had been abused as young girls. And as I began to tell parts of my story, I would see their eyes light up, Neil, and they would start to lean into me and, and you could sort of see that the lights were going on for them. And they sort of said to me, how do you know that that's how we feel, Renee? How do you know that that's the sort of um, the words that I have in my mind? Because I'm too ashamed to tell people that that's, that's what I'm thinking and feeling. And I would say, because that's how I felt when I went through it. And that's when I started to see that transformational power of storytelling, of just being transparent and open and honest and using language that these girls could understand because it was common. It's how we woke up. It's how we felt every day. That's when I started to see the power of sharing my story and that's when I realized my God-given purpose. Let's get to your God-given purpose. And I know that listeners will be able to hear how you're able to articulate these things so beautifully, I might say, whereas not everybody has the capacity to be able to say what they feel in the way that you do. 
Let's talk about a God-given purpose because there must be a point where you had been going through all of this tragic early years as a young woman that you came into some sort of contact with a Christian person. Maybe you'd come into contact with lots, but take us to that time when you discovered that there was a God, that he was a loving God, and that there may be a different direction that you could go. Yeah, absolutely. And and this was a beautiful time of my life. And to even say that I have a beautiful time of my life here and now is amazing to me because I never thought those words would come out of my mouth. And I had just given birth to my daughter and I looked down at her one day. I was again in a very dysfunctional relationship that turned into a 17-year narcissistic marriage. Um, but I looked down at my daughter this day and I was in that point in time, I would have done absolutely anything to turn my life around. And I literally walked into a church that Sunday and it was, it was an absolute God appointed day because there was survivors on the platform talking about their experience. Now, not only were they talking about experience of being through sexual trauma as a child and and many of the things that I had experienced, they were speaking from a place of healing. They were embracing their story and they spoke with joy and peace with no residual mental health issues. They had families. They They were thriving. And in that moment, I was like, they are just talking to me. And I put my hand up that day, Neil. I accepted Christ. I sat there for the next service as well because I couldn't move. I was so overwhelmed by what I was hearing and I knew I needed that. And I was willing to do whatever it took at that point to turn my life around and give my daughter the type of life that I never had. And I drew a line in the sand that day. And that day became, and again, that was 16 years ago now, That became the day that my entire life changed forever. And you've been able to record your story in your new book, which is only about to be released. It's called Battle Scars Are Beautiful, From Victim to Victory. And from that day, Renee, you obviously noticed that there were some things that started to change. And I wonder whether you can put your finger on what it is. Uh, perhaps even along the lines of, you know, who's telling you who you are and what makes you valuable and listening to different voices. Uh, what What is it that makes it different on the other side of making a decision to follow Christ and leaving behind all of the hurt and the pain from the past? What is it that makes the difference for you? I had never had anybody accept me or even ask me, What can I do for you? How can I help you? Everybody I had ever encountered in my life, it was about what they could get from me, what they could take from me. When I came in contact with a church, and that was the first time I went, I need to put my hand up and tell somebody what happened. A pastor looked at me and said, I am so sorry. What can we do for you? And honestly, in that moment, Neil, I was floored because I had never come in contact with anybody that had ever asked me that, let alone someone I had just divulged hideous things that as far as I was concerned were shameful and disgusting. There was no shock on their face. There was nothing but pure acceptance. And in that moment, I was like, this is not fake. This is real. I could tangibly feel their concern and care for me. From that moment, when they gave me my Bible to take home, I took a notebook in one hand and my Bible in the other. And every single day, I wrote, I questioned, I needed to know the truth. I enrolled in Bible college. I'm one of those people that goes in 100% when I decide to do something. And I thought, if this is true, if what I'm feeling right now is real and true and can change my entire life, I need to find out everything I need to know about it. If I'm going to take my family along on this ride, 
I need to know that what I'm feeling is true. And never again in that moment have I ever doubted the love of Christ. I have felt it. I have seen it miracle after miracle. My addictions, my my feeling and desire to be drawn to those things totally fell off me. They they It was not even something I had to really work towards. When I felt his love, I no longer needed or craved or desired those other things. I became strong. I became passionate. Um, the hope that I was full of hearing his love for me was just unconditional. I, it, it's priceless. I, I, I could never, ever hope to ever receive or come into contact with a love like that. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour is Renee Michelle. We're talking about her new book, Battle Scars Are Beautiful, From Victim to Victory. And as a, a wonderful story, it is a transformation story that we're hearing here. And the thing that brought about the transformation Renee, is this encounter in a church meeting where you had met others who'd gone through similar sorts of things, had all sorts of tragedy in their background, but their story had changed and their story was from victim to victory. And this has become your story today. Yeah, absolutely. And wow, talk about transformational, you know, to hear people speaking from such a place of acceptance and empowerment this is something that I had thought my entire life was, was the one thing you don't share. This is a shameful story. You've been abused. You've done terrible things. You've been addicted to all these substances, Renee. You've hurt people. The one thing you can't ever do is be honest about that because people will look at you as though you are worthless. It was the exact opposite of that. People were there willing to help me, to love me and meet me exactly where I was at. That type of love at that point in my life totally and utterly overwhelmed me. You know, it's a powerful thing to reflect on what happens to the Christian believer who has a testimony the way that you do. You can recognize how your world was before and you can say, I have this new strength now to be able to resist and to say no. And there's a character issue in there, a change that comes when we identify with a different set of values, with a different person, and when we know we're talking about being Christian, uh, identifying with our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gives us strength to be able to resist and to overcome those things that have held us back in the past. How do you reflect on that strength that has come in your life? Yeah, I had no identity, Neil. The identity that I did have was very flawed, very distorted. Like I, t I spoke about those negative words that I had of myself. I saw myself as this disgusting person. So my identity in Christ, when I started to learn who I was in him, who he had created me to be, obviously was, you know, that was a conflict there because they were just so opposing. So as I started to really... um commit to learning about who Jesus Christ was and who I was in him, wow, didn't everything become crystal clear for me? Then I became to see that I had so much purpose and calling on my life and that my creation, him, him creating me was such an intentional, intentional act. I wasn't here by accident. I wasn't this faulty, flawed um, person to just, you know, float through life with no purpose. Once I saw why I was here. And once I could see that because of my uh, incidents of pain and trauma, that he could use that. I mean, everybody in the Bible, you, you look at, and this is what I love about the Bible, you look at how flawed 
you know, everybody was, yet how he confounded the wise by using people like me and and so many people that do have, you know, very dysfunctional lives because that is what we're drawn to. That is what we can relate to. And that's when I started to see, wow, I can actually turn this into something beautiful. And part of this testimony and what is going to be obvious to listeners, just to point this out, that Renee was so timid, so ashamed, so shy in those years before. And now that she's had this encounter and she's discovered that there is a different identity in Christ, she's put her trust in him. Now, listen to the way that she articulates these things. And Renee, I know you like to say you have discovered that you have a voice and it's a voice that comes because of God's goodness towards you. He has restored so much to me, a million times over what I could have ever hoped to have a life, you know, uh, represent. As a child, all the way up until my early uh, adult years, I was voiceless. I had no voice. I felt like I wasn't worthy to speak. I, I didn't feel smart enough because I didn't feel like I had anything to offer. And that was that identity issue. Once I started to realize that I had everything I needed and that he was my source, that Christ was my source, that anything I needed, anything I lacked, he would provide me with. And as I tested that theory, because I was naive, I, I, I didn't have um, any type of Christian background. So I came into it very childlike, which I think was a big bonus for me because I, I had no ideal before that. I just came open hearted and went, right, show me what you're here for. Show me what I need from you and show me how I can get it. I, I'm here. I'm yours. And I was so open to that. And he just filled me and filled me. And now, this voice that I never thought that I had and that I definitely didn't have, I now use every day to bring hope and healing to others to show them that they too have a voice and a story and a source. No wonder you're popular when it comes to these shelters and uh, being able to speak into the lives of other young women who've gone through similar things to you because clearly they're seeing a contrast in you and they're hearing you articulate what things were like before and what things are like now, they too must be interested in what is it that makes the difference. They're immediately drawn. And, you know, when we live our life every day, we're almost on autopilot, aren't we? We just get up, we get ready, and we go and do what we need to do. It usually takes, and I know it did for me, and sometimes even now I still have people say to me, Renee, you just don't realise that what we can see and hear is so polar opposite to how you're, you know, how you once were. And for people that knew me back then, they often say to me now, my friends, particularly at that church when I started going there, they look at me and they go, oh my gosh, you must just pinch yourself, Renee. And that's when we have to stop and we have to give glory to God and we have to take that moment to say, thank you, God, for what you have done for me. Because we very much can, in the busyness of life, just sort of pick ourselves up and go on the day to day, but we must stop. And that that gratefulness, Neil, is something that I myself feel every single day because of where I've come from. You know, it says those who have been forgiven much love much. And I know that my my heart, the size of my heart, the love that I have to give in my heart has just exploded. And it's not an effort. It's something that I do effortlessly now because I have Christ's love in me.
Sometimes people like to reflect on the idea that as a Christian we flourish, but if we're holding into those uh, non-Christian uh, times, uh, we're actually in some sense uh, dis- degenerating, uh, disintegrating even. But you've known what it is to flourish, and we'll get into some more of this after the news, but uh, just quickly, flourishing is something that you can appreciate every day, Renee. It is. It's it's almost this bubbling over, this bubbling over uh, of Christ's love that every part in my life that was dead and broken has now got new life. It is absolutely now, like I said, just bubbling over with hopefulness, with gratefulness, with love, with expectation. And I never had an expectation that looked forward to the following day. Now I wake up every day with passion, purpose, fuel, I'm ignited. And that's why my purpose and my calling to now help others find their voice and find their healing and the, and the true sense that they can achieve anything that they want to, um, that, that's my passion every day. Uh, let's take a call, Renee, and uh, listeners, 1-800-316-316. But let's hear from Robin. Hi, Robin. Welcome along. Yes, hello. Um, look, I want to commend you, Renee. Was, uh, this is really the message of the church. This is giving people hope. I, you know, I, I'm just absolutely uh, outraged with, um, you know, some pastors even that kick people out of their churches because they're so-called sinning. We are sinners. We were born sinners and we're only made righteous through Christ, through his righteousness. So if we think that we're going to get to heaven by our righteousness, we are absolutely doomed to, uh, you know, whatever. Um, because it's only on his righteousness. And I'm just so sick of the phoniness in churches where it, they're full of people that are hurting, that have these problems, and they dare not admit them because they will be ostracized, they will be rejected. It's, this is what the church is. Robin, some good thoughts in there, and this is interesting, isn't it? Because hearing your story, Renee, and recognizing that the church actually is filled with hurting people, but that doesn't mean that everybody's in therapy. Uh, But there are people who are in church who have been through some of the sorts of things that you've experienced, and they've discovered this a new level of flourishing that happens when Jesus is the center of their life. Their new identity is in him and not in their past. What are your thoughts for Robin? Because uh, Robin's reflecting that sometimes churches get this wrong. Yeah, look, you know, churches like us are human (laughs) and made up of, uh, you know, People and and people, we are fallible and we don't always get it right. I was extremely blessed to walk into an, a flourishing, healthy, uh, spirit-filled church, and you know that was Hillsong Church for me back in the day. And now I am at C3 at Kiwana, and again the the headship there, the pastors are just such loving, amazing people. And, you know, I I meet a lot of people that have been burnt by church, particularly young girls that I work with that, you know, come to me and when they find out about the Christian side of my journey, they say, oh, you know, I I would love to do that. However, I, I was hurt at a church and so on and so forth. And I just always implore them 
to try to find another church, to try to find another outlet, because unfortunately we don't always get it right. But there is so much love out there and there are healthy churches and you can jump online and you can look at Vision Christian Radio. You know, we've got blogs, we've got podcasts, we've got leadership. There's Luckily today we have so much online presence. I know that I tune into having a very busy life now. I tune into a lot of online podcasts from Joyce Meyer and Christine Kane and there is just so much, so many ways that we can get plugged in now. I think that that there is that availability out there to find that healthy Christian loving acceptance. Hey, Robin, thank you so much for your call. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen to join in our conversation. There is a sense, Renee, in which there will be some who are quite happy to stay in victimhood. Uh, They recognize that there have been these experiences in their past and they don't see the same light at the end of the tunnel that you saw and you recognize that that light was something that God was shining and and you began to move there and uh, these things became a distant past. I know you like to talk about some keys Mm. in a process to take you from this idea of being a victim and for some people, as we say, perpetually a victim, but to get past victimhood and onto victory. What sort of keys do you give to people? Absolutely. This is just so vital to moving through any type of adversity or challenge we face in life. And I mean, let's be honest, we all have a pity party now and again. We all sort of go, wow, this woe is me. But If we continue to do that and go around and around in the same old circles, and I did for many years before I was found, uh, shown a way, an alternative way of living. Now, I did not choose. I was um, powerless as a child. I, I, I didn't ask for what happened to me. What I did discover later in life was that I could choose how I responded. I could choose, like we just said with Robin, to plug into a healthy network, a support network where I could be cared for and shown a better way of doing things. And the way that I chose to do that was as someone that refused to blame external forces any longer and to go, okay, this horrible thing happened to me. Yes, it was a shame and I didn't ask for that. Now, what can I do to get better though? What can I do to move past it? I refuse to let what happened to me define me. That that victimhood for me was was just it was going to end up in death for me because the more that I continued to go and look at the past instead of looking at what I could get to. So I stopped looking at what I never had and I started to looking at what I wanted to become. And that was when my pivotal, uh, the pivotal part of my life started to change. And I started to look at ways to be empowered to move beyond what happened to me. And the last three chapters of my book are what I call victory keys. So it wasn't enough for me just to write a story and say, Hey, these horrible things happened and Hey, things are great now. I wanted to show people how I did it. So I actually break it down into what I call victory keys, into the actual strategic steps that I took, very practical, basic steps that anybody can apply to their own life to start moving beyond their past and into a future that they can be hopeful about, that they can love and build that life that they love separate from the things they've gone through. I suspect what you're talking about here is actually being able to implement this idea of having a purpose. It's one thing to say, oh, it's wonderful, I have a new purpose. Uh, God has given to me a new purpose and it's his purpose for me, but then actually then practically implementing that purpose. As you say, some of these things are actually not rocket science. 
they're just simple things, but it's a different direction than you were on before. It is, and it starts with our minds. We know that it says to be transformed. You know, our minds must be renewed and transformed to be like Christ because we can't do this on our own. And I knew I couldn't. I'd struggled for 26 years to try to figure out a way to get through my trauma. No one ever told me that I actually could be forever free of the shame that I felt, forever free of that desperation of just wanting to be loved and accepted. And I found that in Christ. I had looked everywhere else, trust me, and I mean everywhere else. And I was always left empty and searching for more until I found Christ and his all-complete love. That was when that hole in my heart that I tried to fill with alcohol and drugs and people and self-harm and books and, and whatever else it was that I desperately tried to fill that hole with, it was the first time that I wasn't left empty. It says, if you are thirsty, he will, you know, you will, you will, he will quench your thirst. He will feed you. He will give you everything that you need. And that is truly what I found in him. So that purpose, I had to live it out. It wasn't enough for me to just say, wow, you've got a purpose in Christ. I had to discover what it was and I had to start building that into my life every single day. And I stand here now completely healed, completely transformed. I have no mental health issues. I have no addiction issues, healthy relationships. My children are absolutely healthy and flourishing. They have a life that I never had. You know, as I hear you reflecting on these things and so powerful what you are saying, but I can suspect too that there'll be some saying uh, that when I talk about this identity in Christ as a Christian believer, he's an add-on to some of the things that I'm also holding on to from the past. Uh, People who are saying that, uh, you know, uh, I like alcohol. I mean, do I need to surrender that to God? I mean... Is that really a part of my problem? Is that keeping me back? Is it holding me down? Uh, Issues to do with uh, sex and uh, perhaps all the different uh, elements, perhaps even in our consumer-driven society. There are so many things that we're holding on tight to that actually are really much a part of our past. And so this word surrender comes to mind. And uh, this idea that surrender somehow or other Uh, is something that I'm going to be losing if I surrender to Christ. But what you're saying and what I can hear what comes through so loud and clear, Renee, is that surrender is the gateway, is the doorway into all of the beautiful ways that you can be free from those things of the past. And that's where the real value is. Surrendering for me was the time that I realized how much more God could give me If I let go, we cannot make room for the new if we hold on to the old. And what I found, you know, that that scripture, which honestly makes us sort of go, oh, sometimes is when he prunes off the old to make room for the new growth. Now, if you are truly walking with Christ and what I found is the more I let go of my past, the more I allowed myself to be vulnerable. God has never hurt me. He has never let me down. So the more I surrendered and said, okay, God, I don't know really how to do this, but I give it all to you. Just take it and show me what you want to do with me. I was very, like I said, very childlike. I I was very naive and just spoke to him as he was my Abba Father, spoke to him very honestly and openly and said, God, show me. The more I let go, the more he filled me. So I didn't struggle with, oh, gosh, I want to have a drink today. 
the more I fell in love with him, the more I got to know him by spending time in his word and listening, that fell away. Like I said, I no longer needed it. So it wasn't a, oh my gosh, I really want to have a drink today, but God says not to. God doesn't treat us like that. He doesn't say, oh, you're a naughty girl. You shouldn't be doing that. What I discovered is the more that I gave him willingly, the more he filled me. And with his love, the bigger that that grew in me, that stuff fell away. It wasn't this to and fro tug of war. It, it just organically fell away and I no longer needed it. And that's when I started, I guess, leaning towards more healthy attitudes and behaviors because the desire became for that, not for the things of my past. A quote that you have on your website, the internal scars can forever be healed. Real peace does exist and pure, unselfish, sincere love and joy beyond imagination is not a fairy tale. I am living proof. This is what you're sharing today. And for some people who feel as though healing for me is impossible, what's your gentle encouragement to people not to just hold on to those things of the past, but to surrender to Christ so that they might experience this same healing and wholeness that you're talking about? Trust when you have been through so much is one of the hardest things we can cultivate, having the the hopefulness to trust once more. Now, for me, I had been hurt and beaten down so much. The thought of trusting one more person in the hope that things could get better, like I said, you know, it says very clearly that I struggled with suicidal ideation. I attempted to take my life twice. That was before I had heard the redeeming message of Christ. My encouragement to you is if you can just hope and trust one more time, turn to Christ. I tested him. I said, God, show me. I need to see you. It was a private cry that I made to him. And he never, ever let me down. He led me to the right people. He has opened doors for me that I could never in a million years, you know, imagine the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you, Neil, today and I'm not dead is in itself the, the biggest, you know, testimony of all. So if I can just implore you to turn to him, to find a church, to listen to a podcast, to have the audacious belief that there is a life beyond the pain that you are now suffering. Listen to me. Contact me. There are people everywhere waiting to help you that that have a heart for you. You can do it. Let's take another call. Jonathan in Perth in WA. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome along. Yeah, hello. Jonathan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, as I listening to how she explaining those things, you know, that it's sometimes <clears throat> with me, it is sometimes you think you surrender to God and that there are something still going on in your life, like you got people around you, no encouragement, and they, they stay some of the, you are, you are, let's say, your mistake or whatever you are doing in the past, and they dwell on it, they condemn you throughout. What can you do to get rid of those things? Okay. Sometimes you try your best, you want to really surrender, you surrender to God, but there's anything going on in your life you don't understand. And instead of some people helping you, they pull you down. What can you do? Jonathan, good thoughts in there. And uh, Jonathan's accent, not so easy to pick up, but uh, a regular caller and make some wonderful contributions. 
And if I was reflecting on what I understood uh, Jonathan saying there, it's one thing to put your faith in Christ, to have a new identity in him, but unless you surround yourself with people who will continue to encourage you, then you risk falling down. I think that's what I'm uh, hearing from Jonathan. What are your thoughts for this idea of getting into a people support a, a group that will actually be an encouragement to you and not pull you down? Yeah, for me, I had to basically clear the decks. Now, when I started my Christian relationship, all of the people in my life were highly dysfunctional. They were addicts. They were people that, like Jonathan said, tried to pull me down out of their own pain. I realized very quickly, hang on a minute, I'm not going to be able to do this if I continue to spend time with these people. And I had to go through probably a a three to six month period that was quite lonely for me because I had to do away with those relationships and walk away and learn to spend time with myself to be able to draw closer to those healthy relationships that I found in church. That was the only way that I could do it. I couldn't have a a foot in both camps. I had to do away with the negative and the damaging, like Jonathan said, that pulled me down and made me feel bad about myself and made me tempted to, to continue to live in that past place that I was trying to get myself out of. And I had to spend time with people that were healthy, that were encouraging, that were also filled with God's love so that I knew that what they were giving me was what God was trying to bring into my life. And again, it's that pruning, doing away with the old so the new can grow. Thank you so much to Jonathan from Perth in WA, 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to make a contribution to our conversation, uh, interestingly, when you talk about pulling away and separating yourself from those dysfunctional individuals, there is a time when you want to reconnect, but you're reconnecting from a place of empowerment not where you are vulnerable to being drawn back into those lifestyle issues. Uh, For you, Renee, getting to that place of empowerment, these days you're very comfortable going into those settings. Absolutely. I worked in homelessness for over four years. I ran homelessness services for Wesley Mission down in Sydney. And, you know, working with chronic rough sleepers, you know, that had never had a home over the uh, roof over their head for over 20 years. Now, I... Again, using that word flourished, I flourished in that environment. I loved working with those men because I had such a heart for their need, their brokenness. But again, it's because I had Christ's love in me. I was empowered. I was no longer triggered. I was no longer vulnerable to those past issues. So I always say to people, I get a lot of questions about, Renee, how will I I know it's the right time for me to tell my story? And I always encourage them, when you are out And through the other side of your healing, when you know that you know that you are no longer triggered or made vulnerable or susceptible to old patterns by telling and sharing your story. And, and to be honest, we know when we have reached that point, it's not to say we're, we're perfect. None of us ever are, but I know when I became at that point where I was strong enough, empowered and I was healed, I knew when I was healed. That was my time to start telling my story. I was equipped with the resources, with the support network, and I was very honest with myself and went, yep, now I'm ready. Now, that took me 14 years. It does take time. Look, I can sense that there'll be people who would love to connect with you Uh, on a more intimate level, uh, to perhaps uh, follow you on some social media. 
I know that there'll be people who are wanting to get a hold of your book because they're interested in what those three chapters are, those keys, those little process moments, those things that you do to actually get free from these things of the past, where you want to make those battle scars something of the past and you want to recognise now that there's beauty that can come after those battle scars. And so you have a presence on Facebook and uh, for people who are wanting to follow Renee Michelle, uh, the Facebook page is called From Victim to Victory. That's From Victim to Victory. Now, you've also got some online coaching programs. How are you experiencing uh, this element of the dimensions that you're moving into now, Renee? Because uh, you're online. Uh, this is a way you can reach an awful lot of people in a very easy way. Uh, give us some insight into here how this is working. Yeah, it's working beautifully well. I usually run uh, bi-monthly workshops and I, I've run a couple now around intimacy, um, around resilience keys because I had so many men and women contacting me just saying, Renee, I, I need this information from you, but I need it ongoing. So I actually created courses around them and that's what my online programs are. Now, the online programs that I run are ladies only because the community that I wanted to create was for women to meet together from anywhere in the world. And this is the exciting part of online coaching in the world we live in today. I have women that, you know, sit in their pajamas at three o'clock in the morning from somewhere on the opposite side of the globe with a cup of coffee. And they find that it's a very non-confrontational but empowering way to meet with like-minded women who also want to break free from certain uh, effects of trauma. So I created these online programs. Now they're of different intensity, of different lengths, depending on what each female needs. And um, we just get straight down to it. They tell me what their problems are. And because I'm a lived survivor of abuse, but also have that academic experience, I went to university, I have a social science degree, I have a counseling diploma, um, I have, you know, formal qualifications in leadership. I wanted to create a, a holistic picture of how to help women heal. And I always say, you know, a lived experience will always trump a classroom experience because. Again, just being able to relate to people on that human level. And I found that that has been the biggest plus about the counseling pro, uh, the coaching programs that I run. It's because women come to me and they say, I've been watching you on social media. I've been interacting with you and you just get it. It's like you're in my mind. And that's why healing is able to happen very, very quickly. You've also got a connection with Brave Hearts and uh, listeners might be familiar with that organization, but uh, that's an area where you're looking to be involved in. In the teaching of children about how to not uh, have the experiences that you've had. Yeah, I, I'm very, very uh, in love with pro proactiveness. And with Bravehearts, they are Australia's leading child protection organisation. And I've had meetings with them and I'm very excited to say I'll be donating 10 of my books to them, personally signed books for them to use across their therapeutic services and really any way they, say, they see fit. Because teaching our children body safety and getting in there at the very early levels of, you know, three and four-year-olds using age-appropriate language and teaching them how to equip themselves you know we do live in a world where we know the statistics one in five children are going to be sexually harmed before their 18th birthday it's outlandish and it's it has to stop so we need to get in as parents and caregivers at that very early age and be proactive in teaching our children how to be safe but also safeguarding the home and just being aware that these dangers do exist and the longer we ignore them, the longer we continue to put our children at risk. So joining with Brave Hearts and saying, hey, how can we do this better? It's very exciting. 
Well, Renee, we have run out of time. Let me just confirm that website for listeners who might be just wanting to write that down. Renee is a transformational coach. She's running online coaching programs and workshops for female survivors of abuse, helping to equip to equip them with the tools and strategies to break free from limiting self-beliefs and to find their true purpose as women of worth and limitless value. Uh, let me give that website. Renee Michelle's website is Michelle. That's R-E-N-E-M-I-C-H-E-L-E dot com. Her book is being released any day now. So it's on the verge of being released. It is absolutely a brand new book. It's called Battle Scars Are Beautiful from Victim to Victory. ReneeMichelle.com. Renee, thank you so much for taking some time to come and share your story with us today. It is inspirational and uh, I believe God's going to open some wonderful doors for you. Thanks for being with us on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.